Amen. Good morning. You may be seated. So this is the first Sunday when we've gotten really adventurous and we've swapped everything around. So we've had most of our instruments indoors and uh, other things are outside. And we're going to continue to experiment for the best way that we can try to uh, care and minister for as many people as possible. I know there are a lot of folks that are anxious for us to be inside. Uh, I'll just be honest with you. We have about 40 people every single Sunday who worship inside their cars. Uh, we know that. And so we want to do everything we can to accommodate uh, as, as much as we can, as long as we can. And so God continues to allow these opportunities for us, and uh, we're going to continue to uh, capitalize on those as often and um, a, a, as regularly as we can. I just realized as I stood up here in front of you that uh, I have a technology issue, so hopefully it will resolve itself while I make my way through, make my way through a couple of these announcements. Uh, just keep in mind, we will return to our regularly scheduled Wednesday programming. Uh, by regularly, I mean our regularly COVID-scheduled Wednesday programming, which means uh, children and youth uh, on Wednesday evenings. I know Pastor Adam already mentioned that, as well as our, our Wednesday morning prayer service at 10 o'clock. also want to remind you, if you're not aware... Am I on here? We good? I want to remind you, um, if you're not aware, we are working through the Bible. So our goal this year as a church is for everybody in our church to read through the Bible with us. If you're watching us at home, if you're part of our online gatherings, uh, we want to encourage you to join with us. If you've never read through the Bible from cover to cover, this year can be the year that you do it. All right? Uh, uh, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, we're not going to deny that. Uh, but it's doable. Every single one of you can do it if you want to. One of the things that we're going to be doing as a family is is listening to it uh, read to us at mealtimes or at other times so that even our younger children can participate, even though they might not be able to keep up with the, the pace. So we're going to try and do that to supplement the reading. If you are going to participate with us, if you'll go to our website, there is a tab on our website called The Whole Story, and that tab is filled with resources for you to use that might help you as you try and read through the Bible this year. Uh, those resources would include uh, a link where you can download an app if you don't have one on your phone that will read the Bible to you, uh, a resource or a link to study Bibles, as well as a link to uh, the Bible reading plan that we're, we're using. We're just going to be working Genesis through Revelation. So uh, hopefully you began. If not, start today so you can catch up, okay? Uh, we, we're going to begin January 1 with Genesis 1, and then it breaks out to approximately three chapters a day over the course of the calendar year. In addition to us reading through it, we're going to be preaching through the Bible. So Pastor Adam began that last Sunday, did a very good job. I'll be picking up there this week. Um, and then every week moving forward this year, we will be reading full or preaching forward. In other words, I'll be preaching today on the passage of Scripture that you'll be reading next week. And then when you gather for your life groups next Sunday, uh, however it is that, that might look, when you have an opportunity, your, your life group questions are going to revolve around the passages of Scripture that you read in that week. So uh, a lot of things, hopefully we will have the opportunity to encourage one another. It's January, and so lots of people begin their New Year's resolutions, and fitness is always one of those things that people have. If you've ever had the opportunity to work out with somebody, then you understand what it's like to have that little bit of accountability. A buddy of mine, an old high school friend of mine, did a, a workout program during October this past year, and uh, every morning I would get a text from him or he would get one from me at about 5 o'clock in the morning, are you working out? And regrettably, 
one of us would acknowledge, yes, I'm doing it. It's terrible, but we were doing it together. And as a result of that accountability, we made it through. And so one of the things that we're going to offer is some accountability for all of you as we work through God's Word together. All right. Having said all of those things, this morning we're going to be in the book of Genesis. Um, uh, I'm going to be preaching really Genesis 11 through 15. We're going to focus our reading in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me in honor of God's Word. And we're going to read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. If you need to know where Genesis is, that's okay. It's the very first book of the Bible. All right? Now, the Lord said to Abram... Now, uh, again, for those of you that are uninitiated, perhaps new believers or you've never read the Bible, Abram is Abraham. If you've heard of him, we're going to see a name change for him. But some of that might get skipped over in some of the big chunk preaching that we're doing. So just know that it's the same guy. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred to, and your father's house... To the land that I will show you, and I will bless, uh, and, excuse me, to, the, to your father's house and the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would give us a deeper, richer, fuller understanding of your word, not only today, but throughout 2021, as we spend time meditating on it, reading it, bathing in it daily, weekly, monthly, and throughout this year. I pray, Lord God, particularly this morning, that you would help us have a greater appreciation and understanding for the truths that are contained here in the book of Genesis. Help us to understand rebellion and belief, Lord God, to understand what faith looks like, and Father, to be committed Father God, more than ever before, to trusting you completely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanted to give you guys a real catchy illustration to introduce the sermon this morning, but my sermon got so long I was afraid if I gave a real catchy introduction that we might be here forever. So this morning we're going to jump straight in. Uh, we, we have this tendency when we read the Bible to read the Bible in the way that we learned it in Sunday school as children. And we have a tendency to read and learn the Bible as little stories. And so if you've ever had the opportunity to teach children, especially 20 or 30 years ago. We don't do it exactly that way now, so I need to clarify because Miss Rhonda will be on my head if I don't. Um, but especially in the, the, the time when I grew up as a child in church, everything was in stories, little individual stories that were relatively disconnected from one another. And so you would learn the story of Adam and Eve, and you would learn the story of 
of, of Cain and Abel, maybe. Uh, you would learn the story of the serpent. You would learn the story of the Tower of Babel. You would learn the story of Noah. You would learn the story uh, of, of Abraham. But you might learn all those in a very disconnected fashion. As a matter of fact, you might learn them in just the way that I said them, as, as, as not as one continuous story, but as little stories that were interspersed throughout the Bible or maybe throughout your life. But the reality is all of those things make up one big story that's a part of God's Word. And so we begin in Genesis one and we make it to Genesis 12 and in those 12 chapters are contained all the things that I've already mentioned this morning. We go from creation to fall to redemption. We see the flood. We see Noah. We see Noah's children failing. We see the Tower of Babel. We see God's promises to Abraham. All of that takes place in 12 chapters. But if we're not careful, we sort of run past all of those things. We jump straight to chapter 12 and that's for good reason. Chapter 12 is a little bit more encouraging. Chapter 12 isn't like chapter 11. Genesis 11 is tough to work with, right? We've got all the rebellion, all the, the people who are doing the wrong things. In Genesis 12, we see God's grace overflowing. And we see Abraham responding with faith. But folks, over the course of the next year, we want to do more than just gather together disconnected stories I want to help you over the course of the next year to build a sort of skeleton upon which you can hang the whole story of God's Word, the whole story of the Bible. I find that clinging to some of the big ideas of the Bible helps me to keep track of the overall picture. So, for instance, I have taught my children something sort of like this, just to get us to Genesis chapter 12, in the beginning, God. And it's important that we, that we don't get to what God did. We, we begin with the beginning, and God was in the beginning. He is eternal and has been for all times. So in the beginning, God. And then in, in the beginning, God created. We see that he is the God who has created all things, owns all things. So in the beginning, God created. Adam and Eve sinned. Creation suffered. Noah built an ark. Abraham believed in God. All of those things happen in the first 12 chapters. And even if you can't remember all the stories, if you can hang on to some of those short parts, it helps. With those things in mind, let's consider Noah, for instance, and his descendants, you say, Craig, I thought we were going to talk about Abraham. We're going to get there in just a minute, but Noah's right on the back end. The story of Noah and the ark is one of the more terrifying pictures in the Bible, right? It really is. We've got this picture. It reminds us that God is holy, righteous, and just, that God has decreed from all time that his ways are right. Of course, the story of Noah also reminds us that God is patient and long-suffering. Noah labored on the ark for a hundred years. For one hundred years, Noah warned people of their sin and of God's judgment. But for one hundred years, people rejected God's call. When Noah was 600 years old, God sent the flood. And for 150 days, Noah and his family sheltered in their nautical home and waited for the terrible judgment of God to subside. After they left the ark, we see that Noah and his descendants, um, however, followed in the footsteps of their ancestors the sin of adam clung to them like barnacles to the bottom of the ark just as adam and eve believed that they knew better than god so too the descendants of noah were confident in their own understanding as noah and his family left the ark they were commanded in genesis chapter 9 verse 1 be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth but a short time later depending on exactly how we time this some time it as short as 100 years later the descendants of Noah are still gathered together in one place. God had told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But short time later, the descendants of Noah are gathered in this place that the Bible tells us is the land of Shinar, somewhere in the region 
of what would later be Babylon and then even later Iraq. There in the land of Shinar, they were gathered together and they said this, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make, make a name for ourselves. And folks, that in and of itself is a picture of rebellion as they say, we want the world to look at us. But watch, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This is the great sin of Babel. The people knew God's command, but rather than be fruitful and fill the earth, they determined that they would stay right where they were. Rather than fulfilling God's command to multiply and fill, the descendants of Noah decided it was better just to hang out together to build monuments to their own greatness and not leave home. But God's word and God's will is never thwarted. Rather than flooding everyone out again, God accomplishes his purpose in a different way. And so at Babel, he confuses the language, he disperses the people. They didn't do it on their own. God did it for them. Side note here this morning, as we embark on a new year, I want to urge you all to reflect not only on the judgments of God in the past, but on the trials and the travails of 2020. I think that as we flip the page to 2021, there's a danger there's a danger that we might keep our heads stuck in the sand and not learn the lessons of 2020 as we move into this new year. See, I'm curious, what if all the struggles and the strife of 2020 were not primarily political? What if it wasn't mostly about elections or political candidates? What if we're asking the wrong questions? Perhaps the question isn't, was there voter fraud or is the CDC lying about masks or is COVID real or does racism exist? What if we are just like Noah's descendants, looking on the carnage of God's judgment and building our own towers, pretending that God is not trying to get our attention? I see a lot of people anxious to get to 2021 to forget about what happened in 2020. But folks, I want to suggest to you that potentially the reason is because 2020 doesn't fit within the picture that we wanted to paint for ourselves. What if 2020 isn't a liberal government ploy or the failure of a president, but rather the judgment of God destroying our towers and forcing us to do what God has commanded us to do all along? God has commanded us to love him, love our neighbor, and change the world, but instead we are hiding in our towers, convincing ourselves and others that we are doing what is best. Now listen, our towers, like, so a lot of you are going to immediately look to this building and go, well, there's the tower that we might be hiding in. I want to suggest to you that that's not the tower. Very few of the members of our church or of any other church would suggest that that was the case. Folks, if only thing we see are the buildings in which we hide, then we've not learned the lessons that God is telling us. The towers we've created are ideological towers. They're towers intended to insulate us from people who disagree with us. They're towers that are built and intended to keep us away from people that we don't enjoy being around. They're towers that are built to keep us away from people who are different than us. And when somebody speaks a word that we don't like, what do we do? We push them outside the tower. We build a new wall. We close the door and we make sure that we are safe and protected. It's very important that as the people of God that we not turn the page to 2021 too quickly without learning the lessons of 2020. The reality is that after the Tower of Babel, it was not as though the people could quickly forget. 
if we take God's word at face value, and I do, and we believe it all, and I do, then what we have to understand is that when God, when, when God dispersed the people, Without a doubt, there were some people who in one moment were close friends, communicating, enjoying one another, and in the next minute could not communicate with one another at all. Some people who had had great relationships one day, but in the next day those relationships were fractured because they could not communicate. Instead of being with the people that they had wanted to be with, their, their towers were broken down, their ideological towers were destroyed, and they were forced to be with the people with whom they could talk, with whom they could speak. But after Babel, there's still hope. <laughs> That's what's pretty awesome. We tend to read the story of Noah and Babel and Abraham separately, and we get on to Abraham, and they're all squished together in the Scripture. See, Babel is beside Abraham on purpose. We only appreciate the faith of Abraham, Abraham the faith of Abraham and the grace of God in light of the rebellion of Babel. As God's people rejected God and his plan, he disciplined them, he separated them. He could at that point have just washed his hands of the whole situation and walked away, but God was not finished. When all hope seems lost, God appeared to Abraham. And in Abraham, we find hope. And in Abraham, we also learn what faith looks like. And in Genesis chapter 12, we see what faith is. Three things I want us to grasp this morning. That was just the introduction. You're welcome. The first thing we see from Abraham is that Abraham listened. Abraham listened. When God spoke, Abraham took time to listen. Will you listen to God? Like, will you actually listen to God? Will you listen to God if God says something you don't want to hear? Will you listen to God if this book teaches you something that you aren't comfortable with? Will you tune your ear to hear the voice of God in the midst of chaos? So many are looking and screaming about 2020 without taking the time to listen to what God is actually saying. How many of you have found yourself in a political conversation in the last 12 months? Raise your hand. The rest of you are lying, okay? All right, we all have. Now, how many of you have found yourself in this kind of conversation? You were trying to talk, but you realized that the person with whom you were trying to talk wasn't listening to anything you had to say. Now, you ready for this? How many of you have realized yet that you're the person that keeps running your mouth and not opening your ears? Oh, yeah, I love the people that didn't raise your hand. This sermon's for you. I like being outside. I can yell, and it just seems like it's fun. Abraham listened when God said, go from your country and your kindred to your father's house to the land that I will show you. I want you to understand this was a shock for Abraham. It wasn't like Abraham was like, all right, well, good. That's what I was planning to do anyway. Well, God, it's, it's funny you would mention that, God, because me and Sarah, we were just talking, and we figured that this whole, you know, being rich and comfortable right here where we are, surrounded by all of our family like everybody else we've ever known, we figured that this was way, way too good for us. We need to pack up everything and just wander around in the wilderness until something happens. You know what? We figured, since you mentioned it, that we would just start walking and just hope and pray that you would at some point show us where you wanted us to be. No, they didn't do that. This was shocking to them. I, I, the Bible doesn't give us uh, a, 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 an in-depth picture 
I can only tell you how it would have been if I had been Abraham. This would have been one of those Gideon moments for me, right? You know, God, if you really want me to leave, I'll tell you what I need you to do. I need you to make this fleece wet and the ground dry. You know, no, God, I've thought about it. If you really want me to go, God, I'm going to need you to make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And then, I, you know, God, if you really, 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 really want me to go, Lord, I, I'm going to need you to, like, have my dad walk in and say, Abram, I've been thinking about it. It's time you move on. I know how easy it is for us to tune God out. I know how easy it is for us to even be in the Word of God and to miss it. See, see, we have a tendency to approach God's Word with a sort of confirmation bias. What is confirmation bias? I'm going to give you a few examples. I listened to a guy tell me a few weeks ago that COVID isn't real. Okay? Now, what was most awesome about this, he told me that he had read the data, he had studied the websites, and that I'm just being fooled. Okay? But the amazing thing is that he's had COVID, and it took him over a month to overcome the symptoms. He had a pretty severe case. Confirmation bias is when you've already made up your mind, and it doesn't matter what else happens, I'm going to believe that. You understand? So for this particular person, he had had it, several people he knew had had it, and yet it's still not real, and I'm being fooled. That's confirmation bias. Confirmation bias isn't limited to COVID deniers. Confirmation bias happens everywhere. We can all be guilty of it. I, for instance, continue to believe that South Carolina is better than Clemson in spite of all the evidence to the contrary. Y'all can't convince me otherwise because I refuse to believe it. And we have a tendency to do that when it comes to God's word. I, I, I recall, some of you heard me share this story. I remember when God called me to ministry. By the way, don't y'all love it when I've had a week off from preaching? I got so much to say. I hope we can get out of here by one o'clock. Um, but I remember when the Lord called me to preach, when he called me to ministry into the pastoral ministry, I knew that God was calling me to ministry, but I didn't want God to call me to the ministry. Now, I didn't have lots of good theological training. I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. And so what I would do is I would get my Bible out and I would say, God, if, if you want me to do this, Lord, then just show me. And then I would take the most scientific method imaginable. I would take my Bible and I would just throw it out on my bed to whatever it would come to, right? But what was awesome is that I had such a strong confirmation bias that I was able to explain away everything that I read. I kid you not, one night I had, I had an old NIV uh, Bible. It, it was stolen. I don't have it anymore. Um, and... Uh, Nobody, like, stole the Bible on purpose. The bag that it was in was stolen. But um, I, I opened that Bible in my bedroom one night, and that Bible had a concordance, you know, the little thing in the back that's like a little dictionary. And I opened it up, and there in the concordance and dictionary, it opened to the concordance. And the words there were call, called, and calling in that order. That was what it opened to. God, if you want me in ministry, then just show me throw my Bible open and my eyes fall immediately upon those three words, call, called, and calling. I said, well, that's odd. Shut the Bible, went to bed. I guess God doesn't want me. Folks, we have a tendency, we have ability to do that. We do it in all sorts of areas of life, but we can do it in God's Word. No, no doubt Abraham was convinced that he was doing right by staying home, but when God spoke, I want you to see that Abraham listened. The hardest thing for... a one of the hardest things for us to do when we're convinced that we are right is to shut our mouths long enough to hear a different perspective, another opinion. And folks, 
Side note number two for this sermon, we're being trained that way with the more and more time we spend on cable news, on Facebook, on Twitter, because in all of those things, what do we see? We see talking heads that shout down anybody with a different opinion. Literally shout down anyone with a differing opinion. Nobody takes the time to listen. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If you hope and pray that God might change your life in the coming year, you're going to have to take the time to shut your mouth and open your ears and to listen to what God's Word has to say. That's the first step in faith. Listen. The second thing, Abraham believed. Yes, there must have been this temptation toward confirmation bias, but he listened and he believed. As I've already mentioned, we're encouraging everyone in the church to read the Bible this year the whole way through, but we really want you to do more than just read it. We actually want you to believe it. We actually want you to believe it. I want you to walk with a mind toward belief that isn't just a blind belief, but a belief that gives God and God's Word the benefit of the doubt. One of my kids pointed out that the creation story seemed a bit out of order since light was created before the sun. But, and, and for the record, I'm glad that my kids bring those questions. Parents, encourage your kids to ask questions. Because if we look at our kids and we say, that's what it says, believe it, the only thing we're tr teaching them is that the arguments that they have can't be answered effectively. All right? But, but anyway, one of my kids said, well, how could light exist before the sun? Well, here's the cool thing is the Bible is actually perfectly logical, and it fits. And if we turn all the way to the end of the story in Revelation, what we learn is that there will come a day in time when the sun will be no more. It will be not, not be necessary because the glory of God is the light that we need. You understand? God gives us a picture in Genesis of the future in Revelation, that the glory of his goodness and his grace illuminated the world before there was a sun or moon or stars. He is light, and darkness flees from him. When the Bible says that God created the light first, then it isn't out of order. It helps us to understand that God doesn't need the sun, the moon, or the stars. And so when, the, when God said to Abraham, when, when God spoke to Abraham, Abraham believed. As a matter of fact, if we turn to Genesis chapter 15, turn on over there real quick. I know the wind's a little much out here. Here we see God's covenant with Abraham. So God's already promised to make Abraham a great nation. He did that back in Genesis chapter 12 as we read. But here God signs his name to the dotted line. If we continue to read on over in Genesis 15, we see that God's covenant with Abraham involves God actually doing, walking through um, a, a covenant treaty of sorts with Abraham. Abraham cuts uh, some sacrifices and God appears to Abraham in that night. And what God says to Abraham essentially is this. God says, so be to me if I don't fulfill my part of this covenant. Okay, we, we have at, at this point, by the time we get to Genesis 15, there are three covenants in the scripture. We've got the, the, the Adamic, Adamic, Adamic covenant. I can't ever say it very well. So you've got the covenant that God created with Adam and Eve in the very beginning. We've got uh, the Noahic covenant or the Noahic covenant, depending on how fancy you want to be when you pronounce it. And that's the covenant that God made with, with, with Noah, that as long as uh, seasons remain, that I'll never again wash the earth away. And then, but watch what happens in that moment. God puts a bow in the sky, the rainbow 
that's a reminder of God's covenant. Understand that when covenants were made in Old Testament times, covenants always carried with them a threat of, of harm or death. That was important. So be it to me if I don't do that. When God put the bow into the clouds, I want you to notice where the bow is pointing. This is a rainbow. We see it only as beauty because we don't think in terms of hunting with a bow, using a bow. The bow is aimed towards the heavens. God wants Noah to understand, if I don't fulfill my portion of this covenant, then there is an arrow pointed at me and my death should ensue. God puts his name on the line with the covenant there. The same thing is true here in Genesis 15 when we see the the, the animals that are, that are, that are they're sacrificing, God says, so be it to me if I don't fulfill my part of the covenant right here. You understand? But before we get to God's part of the covenant, notice in Genesis chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 5, um, um, and he brought him outside, that is the Lord brought him outside, and, and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And you think to yourself, what in the world has Abraham done to deserve all of this? And Genesis 15, 6 tells us, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Folks, this is grace and mercy and this is what faith looks like. Abraham does nothing to deserve God's blessing except to believe God. When we consider what faith is, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What does God desire of us? What does God require? We believe him. We trust him. We trust and believe completely and totally. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. There's a fear among some that if we make this grace of God too easy, then people might not obey. People might not follow. But folks, I'm going to tell you, I'm not sure that it's possible for us to speak too much about the grace, the love, the mercy of God. There is never anything you will do to earn all of it. And yet God in grace and love and mercy has offered to you all the riches of heaven. The same is possible for you today as was possible for Abraham because all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who trust in him, all who believe in him will be saved. Nothing else is necessary. Absolutely nothing. If you're here in a parking lot, if you're inside of our sanctuary, if you're watching at home online, you've never, ever made a faith commitment to Jesus. If you don't have any confidence today that if you were to die that you would go to heaven to be with Jesus Christ, you say, Craig, I don't know how in the world I could ever have that. Can I tell you that all you need to do is call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Believe on the name Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, period. Well, Craig, don't I have to do anything? We just did this baptism. Don't I have to be baptized to be saved? Absolutely not. Teresa's baptism was evidence. It showed all of you guys that she had made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but that baptism did not save her. Jesus saved her. And because she believed in him, that was all that was necessary. And it's all that's necessary for you, whether you're eight or 80, God loves you and longs to have a relationship with you. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Will you believe the Lord today? Will you trust him? What is faith? Faith is listening faith is belief and finally abraham obeyed abraham wasn't done abraham listened abraham believed but he wasn't finished abraham obeyed now i just said you don't have to do anything to be saved and so some of you with an astute mind is going well craig aren't you being a bit of a hypocrite listen it's it's true belief is all that is necessary period end of discussion but because god is graceful and merciful when we've grasped 
this grace of God, this love that he has for us in spite of our sinful selves, what happens is we obey him, not out of drudgery, but out of joy and privilege. Faith alone saves, but faith without deeds is dead, is the warning of James. Obedience does not earn your salvation. Obedience is evidence of your salvation. I've got four children, and uh, uh, you all know that. Um, I got two boys that love to play football, and, and what I find is I find them in the yard playing football all the time. As a matter of fact, my girls go out and play football with the boys all the time. They just love to play football. Uh, but uh, as they've gotten older, and, and, and I see uh, my, my oldest who loves to play football, nobody has to call him on the phone and say, make sure you get out there and throw that football. Nobody has to do that. He just goes out and throws the football because he wants to get better at playing football because he loves to play football. Baseball season's around the corner. All these kids are going to be, watch. We're going to have, uh, at the end of this month, we've got another um, fellowship planned, uh, uh, what do you call that thing out there with fire, a bonfire in the back like we did back before Christmas. We're going to do another one of those at the end of this month. Uh, we're going to back it up to 530 because it's going to be a school night and y'all want to get here. And, but here's what's going to happen. If we got like two minutes of daylight, there's going to be either a baseball or a football, and there's going to be all these kids that are gathered around, and they're going to all be throwing that baseball or that football. Nobody's going to be out there going, well, you better do it. We don't have to tell them. If we would just get out of the way, what happens is that their love of the game spills over into their practice of the game. And then if you'll, you'll watch. Now, adults, you've got to stay out of the way. But if you'll watch, you'll even begin to see the love of that game spill over into what we would call discipleship. But they don't understand it because you'll see the older ones begin to work with the younger ones, won't you? You'll see that older kid, well, that's not the way you hold it, or that's not the way you catch it, or that's not the way you run. You'll see that older kid draw up a little play in the dirt and pull that little kid over and say, if you'll run over there, we'll make sure we get you to football. All those things happen, and they don't happen out of drudgery. They play according to the rules because they want to, because they love it, they enjoy it. Faith alone saves, but faith without deeds is dead. Why? Because obedience, even though it doesn't earn your salvation, it is evidence of your salvation. Just as with Abraham, we know that Abraham listened and believed God. Why do we know that he did that? Because he obeyed. That's how we know. And your obedience is evidence of your belief. I'm going to be totally honest with you. If you tell me that you believe the Bible, but you don't live according to the Bible, what I know is that you don't believe the Bible as much as you claim you believe the Bible. Right? You don't believe the Bible as much as you claim you believe it, because if you did believe it, you would live according to it. That doesn't mean that you have to do all these things for God to love you. God loves you and has sent Jesus Christ to save you. What it means is that because God loves you and has sent Jesus Christ to save you, you have the opportunity to return that love what does faith looks like what does faith look like faith looks like noah and abraham faith listens believes and obeys watch this faith is countercultural. faith is odd faith is awkward faith is the opposite of babel faith trusts when it doesn't make perfect sense faith follows God's way. Faith follows God's way. And you ready for this? This one's hard. Faith functions in God's ways. 
So I ask you this morning, do you live your life according to the Lord's principles? Now, I'm not asking you if you live certain parts of your life according to God's principles. I'm asking if you live all of your life according to God's principles. Do you interact with your spouse in a way that shows that you believe God's word? Do you interact with your parents in a way that shows you believe God's word? Do you interact with your employees or, or your employer in a way that shows you believe in God's word? Do you interact with the person at the checkout counter in a way that shows you believe in God's word? Do you interact with your children in a way that shows you believe in God's word? In other words, do you live like faith? Now, what we're going to find if we study the, the Bible is that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, but there were times when Abraham was an absolute scoundrel. Just a, just a dirty rotten, low-down liar. And some of you have been that. But do you know that even when Abraham failed, God was still good and true to his promise. God loved him anyway. Faith listens, faith believes, and faith obeys, but sometimes our faith is weak. And in those moments, we cast ourselves on the grace and the mercy of God. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Perhaps you're here today and this message is just what you needed. That's what I've been thinking all along. If that's you, great. Perhaps you're here today and you're that guy that's been filled with sort of confirmation bias for a long time and you recognize that you need to approach God's word with an open mind and not with, not with a made-up mind. I studied Babel this week, and we'll close right here. I studied the Tower of Babel some this week. And uh, you, know, you know what's amazing about the Tower of Babel? Uh, a lot, especially uh, liberal Bible scholars, would suggest that it never happened, that it was, it's just a fable, okay? Here's the difficulty. We've got stories similar to the Tower of Babel from multiple civilizations across multiple continents. Native Americans, some Native Americans had a similar belief system. Some South American Indians had a similar belief system. Some others in, in, in Eurasia had similar beliefs. They believed that there had been this tower that had been erected to try and reach to the heavens. Now what's in interesting is that for somebody who says that that can't be true and it's all a myth, they read all those things and they, they come up with, with, an, with an, a theory. Well, it looks like all across humanity, everybody has a similar imagination. Folks, that is, that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. Of course, what makes a lot more sense is that the Bible story is true. And then from that place, God dispersed all the peoples of the earth. And there is a collective memory throughout all of humanity that, that remembers, that reflects upon that moment that was disastrous. But oh, our confirmation bias can convince us that we are right in spite of all the evidence, can it? But faith is just a little bit different. Faith begins with listening, begins, it follows with believing. And then folks, if we've listened and if we believed and if everything seems to add up as it does when we listen to God's word, we find ourselves obeying not out of drudgery, but out of joy. This morning, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you. Today can be the day of your salvation. There's no magic spell, no incantation. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved.
Perhaps God's been calling to you. Perhaps God's been speaking to you. Maybe 2020 has been the year that God's been speaking, yelling even at you, but you've pushed it to the side. God is patient and long-suffering for 100 years. Noah built an ark and preached of God's impending doom. God's patient, and he's put you in this place today to hear these words. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you, no matter what it takes. He sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross to save you from your sins. That's how far he went. Today can be the day. Would you come today and be saved? If you'd like to pray with somebody, Pastor Buster will be inside. I'll be right out here. We'd love to receive you. But you don't have to do that if you're at home or you're seated right there in your chair. If you'll pray today and say, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord God, I want to be saved. I want you to know that God will hear that prayer and God will save you. And then we can help you understand what it looks like to follow him in obedience. As we sing this morning, I pray that you will be obedient to God's call. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, be at work among us. Give us ears to listen. Really listen. Even hearts to hear and listen. Help us to believe when it's hard. And Lord God, help us to obey with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.